And that's what the world knows about love. John is writing this first epistle to expose bogus Christianity. And John has said there are three ways you can know who a real Christian is. A real Christian believes that Jesus is the Son of God who has come in the flesh. He walks in the light of God's holiness. And he loves his brother. But the thing about John is that he does not write in straight lines. He doesn't say, okay, first test, chapter 1, second test, chapter 2, third test, chapter 3. John writes in spirals. Because in John's mind, these three tests cannot and do not function independently of each other. If you really believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you're going to want to obey Him. And if you obey Him, you're going to love your brother. And who is your brother but anyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you're going to obey Him. And if you obey Him, you're going to love your brother. And John just keeps going in circles like that because that's how it works. In fact, look at the last verse from our text from last week. Notice how he puts two of the tests together because he can't separate them. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. You see, if you believe Jesus really is the Son of God come in the flesh, you're going to obey him. And if you obey him, you're going to be dying to love. Let's read now, starting in verse 11. This powerful text. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. Maybe you heard the story of the fellow who saw his friend drive up and his car was covered with blood and mud and branches and leaves. And he said, what happened to your car? And his friend said, well, this morning I ran into a lawyer. And his buddy said, well, that explains the blood. But what about the mud and the branches and the leaves? And his friend said, well... I had to chase him all through the park. Now, John would say that proves that he's a child of the devil. And if you are a child of the devil, then you have heard a lot of lies from your father. And what John does in our text is he reveals a couple of subtle lies that people have about love. The first is that love comes later. 
One of the lies that Satan peddles is that what really matters is what you believe, not so much how you behave. It's one of the reasons why some who are so sure of their orthodoxy sure can be mean. I mean some of the ugliest treatment I have ever received in my life were from people who didn't agree with me about something they thought was doctrinal. And the reason that can be is because they have bought this lie that you've got to get all your doctrine right and love is not as important. That comes later. But did you notice that John said in verse 11, this is the message you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Now, back in chapter 1, verse 5, he said, this is what we've told you from the beginning, that God is light. So, in other words, John is saying, do you remember from the very start, we taught you about the nature and character of God. And from the very start, we taught you to love one another. That the call to love is not something you deal with after you get all your doctrine worked out. That love in the gospel of Christ is never an afterthought. Because Christianity is not just about you and God. They asked Jesus one time, What one thing does God care about more than anything else? And Jesus said, The only way I can give you an answer is to give you two answers. Because what God cares about more than anything else is that you love Him with everything you've got and you love other people like you love yourself and you can't divorce those two things. They go together. That the call to love people is as foundational to the Christian faith As the call to know who God is and what He's like. That the gospel is doctrinal and ethical from the start. And so John says, love doesn't come later. You start with love. Loving God and loving people. In fact, the New Testament would say, if you're wrong on love, it doesn't matter if you're right on everything else. And the second lie that John exposes is that love comes naturally. Well, that's what all the songs on the radio say. But what John and Jesus call love cannot be produced by the flesh. Now, don't misunderstand. Certainly people who have not been born of God can love. They are certainly capable of love. But the Bible says their love is infected with a certain degree of selfishness. In other words, they love because there is something lovely about the person or thing they are loving. They get something out of the investment of love. There is some return they're receiving. Jesus spoke about this. In Luke chapter 6, verse 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. You don't need God to love lovely people. 
You don't need God to love people that love you back. You don't need God to love anyone or anything that furthers your personal interest. It's what I call Christmas card love. And it's all the flesh can produce. You know what I mean. At Christmas time, I send you a card and you send me a card. But if I send you a card and you don't send me a card, then next year, guess what? You don't get a card. Because I'm getting nothing out of the investment. That's why, you see, tomorrow, if you accidentally cut somebody off on 820, do you think they're going to roll down the window and say, God bless you? Have you ever seen a sticker on a car that says, turn the other bumper? Have you ever been to a high school basketball game where the crowd starts to chant, forgive the ref, forgive the ref? It's not natural to invest in other people with no thought of return. It's natural to be like Cain and to strike out at anyone or anything that threatens your personal agenda. That's why Jesus called hate embryonic murder. Hate is just the first step in a process of you wanting to get rid of somebody because they're not giving you what you need or want. Now please notice, the Bible doesn't say that Cain hated his brother and that made him a child of the devil. The Bible says that Cain was a child of the devil. And that's why he hated and then murdered his brother. In other words, and I know this is kind of offensive to people who aren't Christians. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. That unregenerate man, man that hasn't been born again, is under the unconscious control of the devil. He's not spiritually alive. And the only kind of love he can produce is out of his flesh, which will always be infected with self. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. And he says, In the past, you were spiritually dead because of your sins and the things you did against God. And yes, in the past, you lived the way the world lives, following the ruler of the evil powers that are above the earth. That same spirit is now working in those who refuse to obey God. Love is not natural. Do you know what it takes to love like God does? A resurrection. You have to be brought from spiritual death to life. Because biblical love isn't natural, it's supernatural. And so the Bible says, for example, in Romans chapter 5, we, dearly, uh, we know how dearly God loves us because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Or in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I don't need to write to you about the Christian love that should be shown among God's people, for God Himself has taught you to love one another. You see, to love 
void of self-interest is a work of God. And so John says there in verse 14, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brothers. In other words, how do I know I'm a real Christian and not just fake? Well, do you find in your heart an increased capacity to love unlovely people? To love people that don't necessarily love you back? Do you find a greater willingness to show love to people with no idea if they're going to return it? John says, if you do, that proves you have been brought from death to spiritual life. Now, please notice he does not say, if you love, then you will become spiritually alive. He says, you have to be made spiritually alive by a miracle of God. And then you can love. That the outflow of love is the result of the inflow of the Spirit of God. That only a person who has been made spiritually alive will be dying to love. You see, the Bible talks about a different kind of love. A love that's not natural. A love that the flesh can never produce. It's a love that tries first to stress the shift to gift. You see, love in the flesh is about receiving. I'm getting something out of loving you or I'd stop doing it. And so love in the flesh is about receiving. Hate's about taking. But Jesus says, I want to give you a new commandment to love. To love like I do. And in what way was it new? It took receiving out of the equation. He called for a kind of love that gives without any promise or even need of return. And there was a specific moment in history when this shift to a new understanding of love occurred. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us. And when the New Testament talks about how God loves, it always describes this shift to gift. What's the best known verse in the Bible? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Galatians 2 and verse 20 says, So I live my life in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, God's love is pure grace. It's to the undeserving and the undesirous. In other words, Not only did we not deserve Jesus, we weren't even asking for Jesus. And God sent Jesus to you with no guarantee you would even appreciate it. With the possibility you might even curse him. God goes beyond daily minimum requirements of loving. Maybe you heard the story of the 
boxer in Ireland who was very good, won a lot of fights. But he got converted to Christ and dropped his career to become a street evangelist. And so he was out there preaching one day on the corner of a street in Dublin. And a crowd gathered. And this punk shows up and begins to mock him. Didn't know who he was. In fact, walked up and slapped him on the face. He clenched his fist. But then he remembered the words of Jesus. Turn the other cheek. And he did. That punk slapped him on the other cheek. He took off his coat. He rolled up his sleeves. He began to smile. He said, the Lord has given no further instructions. (laughs) You see, biblical love goes beyond that. It's the kind of love that just keeps on giving and giving and giving. It's resurrection love. It's spirit-inspired love. It's a kind of love the flesh could never produce. It's dying to love. Loving. It's the kind of giving only possible by those who've already received the greatest gift. So look at the second half of verse 16. Now this is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us. Now you would expect him to say next. So we should give our lives for Jesus. Well, he doesn't say that, but in a way, he does say that. Because how do you give your life for Jesus? You give your life for your brothers and sisters. Ernest Gordon, in his well-known book, Miracle on the River Kwai, tells about Scottish soldiers in World War II that were captured by the Japanese placed in labor camps in Asia and forced to build a railroad through the jungle. It was terrible conditions and they were mistreated horribly. Occasionally they would have tool checks to make sure that no captive had hidden a shovel or a tool to try to escape. At this particular tool check, one of the shovels was missing. The guards were furious. The man in charge had the prisoners line up and he said... The man who took that shovel better step forward or I will shoot every man here on the spot. And after a long, tense moment, one man stepped out. The Japanese guard put his gun down, picked up a shovel, and beat that soldier to death in front of his comrades. They went back to work. Later that day, they had another tool check. To their horror, they discovered they had miscounted that there never was a missing shovel in the first place. And that's when his mates realized he had given his life to save theirs. And it changed them. It changed the way they treated each other. It changed the way they felt about their enemy. When the war was over and the allies rescued them and they lined up the Japanese now as the captives in front of them, they said, no more hate. What we need is forgiveness. It's the power of sacrifice. Please understand, there's no intrinsic value in self-sacrifice if it's not for a reason. The sacrifice that God values is when you die to self 
to pour life into somebody else. It is highly unlikely that anybody in this room will ever have a chance to literally die for somebody else. But everybody in this room will have a chance tomorrow to die to self in some way so that you can pour some life into somebody else. That's what love tries to do. It tries to bless specific places and faces. You see, Cain was wrong. God said, where is your brother? And Cain said, it is not my job to keep up with where my brother is or how he's doing. Cain was wrong. Cain was and you are your brother's keeper. And so John says there in verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? You can know for a fact that person is a bogus Christian. He talks. But he never acts. The other day, I said to my wife, Honey, I love you so much, I would die for you. She says, Yeah, you always say that, but you never do it. <laughs> real love is like real faith. Over in James chapter 2, James says, Don't tell me about your faith. Show me by your actions. And in 1 John 3, John says, don't tell me how much you love people. Show me by your actions. Because it's possible to talk about loving everybody. And never do anything to help anybody. See, God doesn't want you to love everybody abstractly. He wants you to love somebody concretely. Don't tell me how much you love kids. Go sign up and teach one class and one group of kids. That's love. Don't tell me how much you hope the whole world finds out about Jesus. Go on one mission trip and sit across a table from one person and read the Bible with them. That's love. I have a friend in Houston. His name is Ronnie Norman. He preaches for the First Colony Church of Christ. And ten years ago, that church sent six people to Uganda as missionaries. And they started some churches there. And there's been a beautiful relationship between the churches in Uganda and the First Colony Church in Houston. And a couple of hundred people from Houston have gone to Uganda to visit Christians there. And they've had a great mutual affection. And so last fall, the Mamara Church of Christ in Uganda got the word of Hurricane Ike battering Houston. And they found out that some of their dear friends at the First Colony Church had their homes damaged by the hurricane. 
And they were concerned. And so they came up with the idea of having a special contribution. Now you've got to know, in that part of the world, the average Ugandan Christian makes less than one dollar a day. Their average weekly contribution is eleven dollars. They took up that day twenty-one dollars and ninety-six cents and sent it to Houston to help their brothers who had suffered hurricane damage. That's what love looks like. Real love is not discreet. It is concrete. And so why do more people die to love like that? I think John would say that love dies whenever something besides the cross shapes my life. You see, I find it interesting. He says, if anyone has material possessions, and he uses the same word that he used back in chapter 2 when he talked about the pride of life or the boasting of what you have. What he's saying, folks, is that God has given you blessings. What's going to be your attitude? If your attitude is all about you, you're going to see your blessings as something to hoard. But if your life is shaped by the cross, your blessings are something you use to help. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Live a life filled with love for others, following the example of Christ who loved you. And gave himself as a sacrifice to take away your sins. We give in response to a greater gift. We die in response to a greater death. And if any other motivation besides the cross is the center of my life, I will love wrongly. And if I'm wrong on love, I can't really be right about anything. Brandon Moody has an uncle who's a pastor. And he writes, several years ago, he went to visit him on Easter. And his church had an Easter pageant. You've probably seen a similar play. It ends with Christ's resurrection and his ascension. And they tie ropes to the character that plays Jesus and they're pulling him backstage up into the roof while he gives the great commission and everything was going great Jesus was almost ascended and the guy backstage lost his grip and the rope slipped and here's Jesus it's like the second coming he's coming back down to the stage and the guy grabs the rope and there's Jesus suspended about three feet above the stage and he said oh one more thing Jesus said, oh, one more thing. Love one another. Which is exactly what he would say if he could tell you one more thing. Love one another. 
And so I told you today we're going to have two offerings. We've already had one. We gave our tithes and our monies. Now we're going to give ourselves. If our brothers would take their places, we're about to have communion together. And I'm going to lead our prayer. And first they're going to pass the bread. And then they're going to pass the cup. And we're going to be reminded that Jesus gave his body and blood for us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't even ask for it. But he did it. This is love. And then we're going to turn our focus to who we're supposed to love. And there are on the pews little cards that says, Lord, bless my offering to love. And there's a blank. And I want you to write something in that blank. A face or a place. I want you today to give an offering to the Lord to love somebody concretely. So they're going to pass the bread. Then immediately they will pass the cup. And then immediately they will pass an offering plate for you to give your offering of love. You can just fold it in half. No one has to see it. No one's going to read it. I'm going to get the cards tomorrow and I'm just going to pray over them. It's really just something you're committing to the Lord. To love like He loved you. So Father, now in Jesus' name, we come thanking you for your amazing grace. The grace that sent heaven's best. The grace that calls for us to respond. The grace that shapes and centers our lives. Father, help us to see Jesus and one another. Amen. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that when the Lord ordained the one sacrament to remember His gift, it was something you can't do in a closet. It's a meal. He wanted you to be at a table having to look somebody else in the eyes while you thought about the cross. Why? Because the only way to respond properly to God's gift to you is to be a gift to somebody else. And so when you think about it, every week there should be more than one offering in our service. Yes, we offer our money. But every week we recommit to offer ourselves and to go love somebody. A face and a place. Not just love everybody in general, but somebody in particular. With a kind of love the flesh can't produce. It's only God doing a miracle in you to love like that. That's what we're going to do this week. And maybe you need some encouragement. Maybe you need... To pray or talk to somebody. Our elders and ministers are going to be back in room 109. Excuse me, the chapel. 
for this uh, next part of our worship. We're going to sing a song, and while we sing, if you have decided that Jesus is the Son of God, come in the flesh, and you're ready to publicly commit to Him a life discipleship, come and be baptized today. We're going to sing a song about the love that will never let us go. The love that assures our hearts. The love that makes it possible for us to love others. Would you be standing up, please? And let's praise the God who said, I will never let you go. So you can go anywhere and everywhere and love people. And you come now while we sing.